Hey, I'm Michael Durinder. And I am Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 29 of the North Meet South web podcast. Episode 29, episode 29. Tomorrow, not tomorrow. In two weeks, we will be recording episode number 30, which will be Michael's first episode when he is 30. That's a terrible way to explain that. But Michael's birthday is this Saturday, this coming Saturday. Yeah. So we need like a little, we need a little music here that's like a happy Some birthday kind of- to you. Yeah. yeah, happy birthday and some streamers or what are they called? Those little whistle things. Yeah, um, the, party with the party paper things. Yep. Yeah, yep. I don't they know what those are burp. called. Yep. Yeah, I don't know what they call the, the little. It's like the little tada emoji, like those little yeah yeah party yeah, yeah. poppers. Yeah, those things. Whatever. Hell yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We need some of those. Congratulations, man! Last week of your twenties. What have you got planned? Uh, yeah, well, um, my wife and I, we went, it was about five hours driving down south to a quaint little town called Mount Gambia. My wife has nice. never been there and she wanted to see the, the Blue Lake. So it's not blue, she found out, at this time of year. There are basically three days of the year in November uh-huh. where the lake turns electric blue, basically. So she only found that out when we got there to see this sort of gray, oh, boring sad. looking lake. Oh, but no. We um, yeah, we had good fun down there. We we just went uh, Saturday morning. We drove up or drove down there, had a, a stay overnight. Went and saw the the lake and and this is this sinkhole, which was uh, pretty interesting because the, the wow. whole the whole of that part of South Australia is basically limestone. So there's a lot of that kind of activity down there. There's limestone caves and there's a, a sinkhole which which we went and saw, as I said, and. Um, yeah, so she had never seen that, and that was basically the only two things she wanted to do there. But we stayed at this place called the Barn, which was—it's, I mean, it was accommodation, but the the thing was the restaurant, which was this steakhouse, and it was really, 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 really good. That looked delicious. Yeah, I saw it. You put it on Twitter. Yeah. It looked really awesome. Yeah, I'm a little, I was that a little was bit a, jealous. I we call it a porterhouse steak here, but it's you—you you would probably call it a New York New York strip. Okay. So yeah, so a yeah, porterhouse. I think I've had a porterhouse. Yeah, cooked perfectly. the The food was great. We had this gooey chocolate pudding thing as well, which was really, really good. But don't oh, don't tell my wife because she she couldn't eat it. So as Why? far as she concerned, it was the worst it? thing I've ever eaten. Because uh, she's Does she have like some... she's she can't yeah she can't eat gluten and she can't eat gotcha. all kinds of different things. So yeah, gotcha. as far as she's concerned, it was the worst thing I've ever eaten. A horrible, horrible. <laughs> yeah, you were making like yeah. faces the whole time, like, "Oh, I can't believe we ordered yeah. this, but I have to eat it." I mean, that's it was right. expensive. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. So that's it was a really good night, and then yeah, jump back in the car. Well, I had a bit of a sleep, and then jump back in the car today. So yeah, that that kicked off the the birthday week, I guess. For awesome, man. For me, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So you're doing it like you do. You do a pre-birthday week. See, like we do a post birthday week. So it's like yeah. the birthday, the day of the birthday and then a week after that. That's how <laughs> that's how yeah. uh, me and Laura typically do it. Yeah. Well, so, so uh, basically anyway. the story is my wife and I share we don't share the same birthday. Mine is on the 3rd of June, hers is on the 4th of June. But she is a year older than me. So when I said to her last year, "Do you want to have a big 30th and and all of that?" She goes, "Oh, no, you know, it's okay. I don't 
not really interested in it. She's the big party person. Little did I know <laughs> that she had this this scheme to basically celebrate my 30th and her 30th on the same day on my first day of, of my 30s and her last day of her th- 30th birthday so oh that's awesome yeah so that that would be this saturday so that's why we went away this weekend just because we're gonna have this big big bash on saturday night and so you won't be able to go anywhere on on saturday or sunday so got it out the road this week yeah well if i'm invited i'll I'll get my plane ticket set up and yeah head out and i think Michael's you're gonna be busy. Birthday bash. What, what were you telling me before the show that you're you've got a <laughs> scheduled c-section Yes, so this is crazy. So you were telling me, yeah, it's my birthday this next Saturday. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Like, this is next Saturday, like June 3rd next Saturday? And you're like, yes. <laughs> it's like, my child, my last child is going to be born on your birthday. I'm going to have to name him Michael. It's going to it's so. gonna have to be a thing. Yeah, at least a yeah. middle name, right? At least a yeah. middle name. Yeah, absolutely. Which I, be my I nephew. Yeah. All right. All right. We, we could do that. If, if I actually <laughs> named his middle name Michael... I don't know. I'll have to, I'll just have to not tell Laura why. I'll be like, oh, I just like the name. Yeah. I just think it looks. I think it would sound good. We I think she'd be on to us pretty out. quickly. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. Don't and think? actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the the name actually it flows pretty well. That'd be like the biggest. Oh, that'd be like the biggest tricked got you forever. <laughs> I'd be like, put it on the birth certificate. Be like, there we go. Oh, by the way, that's Michael Dorinda's birthday. I named his, <laughs> our our child after my co-host. She'd be like, you did what? <laughs> funny it's too late now it's official it's official <laughs> yep it's too late i can't change it can't change it that's right i'll awesome. say ink dries yep so uh i've got a couple things i wanted to talk about for uh just a couple things i've been working on and some stuff that we had talked about just a little bit before the show so i am going to start with a view component i've been working on so couple like last year there was a system that I had made. It was like a camper registration slash check-in system. And I made the mistake of all mistakes, which was using a QR code for anything. Oh, no. No QR codes, please. Yes. Now, I didn't do it on like a business card. It wasn't that bad. What I did need is I needed like a unique way to scan in, you know, you think like of a a ticket or something like that. You're like, okay, QR code, that makes sense. Like a barcode, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are some inherent problems though, especially when you are tasking children with being responsible for keeping something that has a QR code on it. And if they don't have it, think of like a ticket again, then they can't get into the camp that they're supposed to be at. Yeah, right. Bomb, bomb. So what ended up happening a lot of times is they'd lose their QR code and then they'd have to go through the whole registration process all over again, make sure they got a waiver signed by their parent, blah, blah, blah. It was a pain, huge pain. So this year we decided that we were going to, instead of using a QR code, we were going to use a four-digit PIN, which is way easier because I can look up a four-digit PIN. Yeah, I can look up a four-digit PIN if a kid loses their card and just write that PIN number on a new badge for them and give it to them. You're done. So this component that I made uh, is like the little keypad that you use to unlock your iPhone. Mm-hmm. But oh my word, I was just reminded again of how thankful I am for View and how simple it makes things. So yeah. apart from the HTML, the component itself, like the JavaScript was maybe like, I don't know, 30 lines, 25 lines. It's just tiny. Just so it makes it so incredibly simple. So I'll try and put that out there uh, by the time we get this this episode of rolled out and edited and and all that. I'll uh, try and have something in the in the show notes that you guys can take a look at. That is the component and it works really well. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. I need to 
extract it a little bit to be basically used as a child component. Right now what I have is once they put in the four digit pin, it will go ahead and check to make sure that it's an existing camper that has that pin. And then we'll, you know, go ahead and direct them to the location they need to go to. However, I need to use it for another spot in my application where that will not be the final action once it's filled out. So I need to kind of use events to fire back up to the parent that's uh, that's using it and um, pass along the four-digit pin or whatever. So yeah, should nice. be should be good. Yeah. So it's uh, that was that was a fun. Are you using Vuke's for it or are you are you doing just a simple state management on that? Right now there is, I, I don't have, I really literally have almost no, no state to manage in this app. This app was done almost completely using PHP last time around. I didn't have, mm-hmm. I didn't even have like a JavaScript app.js file that was compiling. Sure. So yeah, at this point I, I don't have, there's no state to manage. All I'm going to do at this point is use, um, Props down, events up, and the the number of things that I have to keep track of is so small. It just doesn't even matter. So it's not like a single page app view. It's just, hey, I've got some components I want to render on certain different pages and, okay, yeah. and call it a day. Yeah. Sure. So it's it's pretty simple setup, uh, which I like. And um, but yeah, it should be um, should be very useful. And so I think I, I'll release it out there for people to use if they'd like to. I'm not sure like how we share view components or if that's even a thing. Like I was looking for one of these and didn't find any didn't, didn't find one anywhere yeah. so i mean i don't think people very often release one-off components for view yeah but, it's usually a collection of them right something like right. Bulmer or whatever that, that was a while ago yeah exactly exactly yeah there's a couple different view component frameworks out there but this will just be a one-off so that'll be good yeah very nice yeah so the screenshot you shared earlier in the week with me was was pretty cool so it was pretty much spot on in terms yeah, of you know thanks, looking man. like an actual iPhone, um, I upgraded the installation to Laravel five four just so I could get all of the, all of the view preset goodness that comes with that. So nice, yeah. So okay, so here's one thing. So when you do a new installation, you know, in some in some senses or in some cases, you'll have a a blade file that has uh, the CSRF like injected at the top and and all of that stuff. And yep. I always forget kind of what that looks like and how they do that. And to be honest with you, a lot of the times, like I just like the easy, simple like setup that you get when you have that kind of blade file that ships with it. But the only way to get that blade file is to do the auth make. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's all like stubbed out in the, in the framework, but you don't, it doesn't actually get published and do you do until you do auth make. Yeah, that's right. So it's funny. Like I had no need for the auth stuff this time. It was like, ah, eh, auth make. I just grabbed the <laughs> app.blade.php and use that for everything. Yeah. Cause it's got it all yeah. set up nice and ready to go for Twitter bootstrap and, and all that. So yeah. So I did that this time too. You could have just copied the stub file. Yeah, I could have. I could have. And I just deleted the all the auth stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, the situation for how they log, how the users authenticate will be a little bit weird too. And that's the other reason, that's the other spot I'll use that pin is it'll be like a four digit pin for the users to log in after they get through like some password wall sort of thing. It's going to be a little bit goofy, but yeah. it's literally only open for like four days a year and yeah. there's barely any useful information on there. So even if it did get hacked, it'd be like, oh, too bad. No big deal. <laughs> so whatever, not the end of the world. Okay. Yeah. Cool. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, and we had talked a little bit before the show is chained jobs so i remember Mm -hmm. a i don't know it was probably a year ago we're coming up on a year by the way yeah right it's coming around fast yeah almost almost a year we've been running this show 
So I remember it was a while ago though that you did chained jobs. Can you can you explain to me a little bit of like what that was, what your need for it was, how you guys kind of did that? Yeah. So we we basically needed the ability to chain, yeah, well, chain jobs one after the other. So there were different steps in this workflow, and rather than putting it all all together in one sort of job and then splitting out different bits and pieces into their own handler classes. What we wanted to be able to do is arbitrarily chain them together. Now, ultimately, it became more or less impossible to arbitrarily chain them together because the output of one one job was basically a required state for the, the start of the next one. So there are some pieces that we have that are interchangeable, but for the most part, it's you know you have to do execute them in this in a sane way. So even though we've got it all set up in the database, it, it doesn't really help us so much going forward now. But it meant that we could say, you know, for a given input, so for a given media file, you can run this workflow against it. And that workflow might have seven or eight different steps. You know, it has to process the file, make sure that it's unique, create a database entry for it, probe the file, make sure that, you know, it's a valid video file, generate a thumbnail from the video, and then kick off a transcode process that will transcode into different bit rates and different uh, screen resolutions and, and that sort of thing. So... The way that we had built it was on top of Laravel's queuing system. So everything was yeah. its own job and everything extended from a base class, which which extended from um, you know, Laravel's default job implementation. So it was it was pretty straightforward. We had some extra handling in there, some custom stuff around there was one overarching job in the, I think it was in the listener maybe, that would say, you know, go and find the next class that needs to be executed run this method on that class and we wrapped it all up in a try catch so we could catch all the errors and handle it exploding gracefully and all that kind of stuff so it, it took a bit of doing but it was really hard to test because you couldn't test failures at different points easily because they were not in isolation each step of the of the workflow relied on another one having you know as I said, the same thing that the outputs of one are the inputs of the next one. So it was very hard to test. And, and it wasn't until, you know, we put it into production and we started to see different bits and pieces falling off that we had to go in. We need to fix that. We need to catch this. We need to account for that thing. And and to this day, there there are no real tests for it. it. It kind of just does its business. And, you know, we caught all the edge cases and things like that over the last sort of six or seven months of using it. So it's not it's not in a place where I'm particularly happy with it from a tested standpoint but in terms of it actually doing what it needs to do you know it just sits sits in the background and, and ticks along and you know the, the only time we have issues with it is is when our um, systems team does patching on the server and for some reason the the supervisor job doesn't start again so you know yeah. we'll, we'll get a client go hey i uploaded this video file and it's not not transcoding what's going on and it's like all right hang on we've got to go <laughs> go and start that yeah. queue worker again so oh yeah i hate that that's that's <laughs> That's frustrating, especially if you don't know that that's the problem. So like yeah. somebody contacts you and is like, hey, this thing isn't working. You're like, oh, crap, what's going on? And you go look around and then after a while you realize, oh, wait, it's just a key worker. Yeah, that's yeah. not fun. Um, it's so funny to hear you describe that because that's literally the exact same thought process I've gone through this week. Yeah. I was like, okay, I need the output of the one job to move to the next job. So I need to kind of do them in sequence. And then I was like, okay, if I if something fails midstream, I need to be able to catch that exception and I need to be able to handle it and like delete the directory that was created in step two mm. because that needs to be cleaned up and then whatever go back and and you know move this uh move this 
email to this other folder or something. Okay. So that's that's just interesting to hear you say that. Those are the same challenges I've been facing. Yeah. So I'm curious with the output of the one being required for the input of the next, are you just using, you just have to use the jobs in a particular sequence and then are you serializing the uh, model when you're, when you're queuing up the jobs so that when you have the one job completes, it modifies the record in the database and then the mm-hmm. next job when it kicks off, repulls it from the database? Yeah, so the very first, yeah, the very first job in in the workflow is responsible for creating a record in the database, so that each subsequent one can actually talk to it. The way the, the work that we were doing actually involved us hitting the the job size too big exception a lot of the time. Uh, I remember that. Um, I remember so you telling we, me that. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up having to just pass the the model idea around, and we had to you know hydrate the model from the database each time. So. Yeah, but then for any any sort of transient data that was the output of one job that wasn't really related to the model, we would pass around using just parameter bags. Okay. Which which was a reasonably nice way of doing it. It could have just been a collection on the top level job, I suppose. Parameter bag just seemed like the right thing at the time. And it, yeah, I mean it's been in there for about a year now, so it hasn't hasn't totally blown up on us, which is nice. So my my question is your initial job that kicks off is that the only job that's queued or is every subsequent job also queued every job is queued yeah so the first one will queue every job is queued because we could have you know five or ten video files that come in all at the same time so we've got to process eight steps for each of those so each yeah each Mm -hmm. step of the way is queued there's no there's no locking process in in any part of it so the parameter bag that you're passing around are you mm-hmm. at the end of one job firing an event and then it's catching that event before before it's done and you're passing the parameter bag along with that event and then that event is dispatching or queuing up the next job or how are you passing that yep. that parameter bag? And the reason I ask too is because you had said that you know you you basically were just passing around the I, the model ID and then mm-hmm. it would rehydrate that. Did I mean that were you aware that that is exactly what serializes model does when you say that on a job? Yes, I do know now. So, <laughs> but yeah, we were so still running into you, issues because the there was a whole lot of other stuff that was getting caught in it when it was coming in. So when mm-hmm. when we received some output from the transcode process, that basically included the entire FFmpeg output. And as part of that, it was actually coming in to the request was too big, so oh, okay, uh, we had some issues with that. Yeah, gotcha. So yeah, we, so, I think we did end up stripping out the the explicit passing of IDs around. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, because that's what I mean. I learned that at some point that I was like, I was doing basically the same thing, passing the ID, and then I'd repull it from the database, and it was like, it was fine. It worked great. I mean, mm. but um, serializes model. If you just pass a model and you tell that job, hey, this is serializing the model, it will go ahead and just grab the ID off of it. And then yep. it will repull it from the database using that ID the next time it gets used. So um, the other thing, yeah, was the handling of errors. And and so for me too, I, I kind of tried to practice some Yagna on this thing because I was like, it would be great if these were all stackable. I was like, but yeah. at the end of the day, it prob like I don't have any immediate use cases for it. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be terribly difficult to abstract them so they could be stackable at some point. But I was like, I'm just going to assume that they're going to get called in this order because this is literally the yeah. only thing that's calling them. Mm-hmm. So save myself a little bit of time there. But uh, in 5.5, we have 
chained jobs coming. So in Laravel 5.5, so I remember Taylor had put something out on Twitter and he was kind of asking, hey, what, you know, what did you guys think of if I was to do it this way? And I remember you chiming in and being like, I just re I just invented this like, you know, not too long ago. Yeah. Do you remember what his implementation or what his idea was at the time? Is it similar to what was what got pushed into the framework? Very vaguely, I recall that it was basically what what's in there now. Okay. What's it look like now? How do we, so, you know, the, the goal being we need to be able to chain multiple jobs. So only call the next job if the first one passes. What's the kind of signature look like for this? What do, how do you do it? So what it looks like it is now is that you get your first job, whatever that is, and you call dispatch. So, you know, my job name, colon, colon, dispatch. Then you, uh, you know, you chain on the then method and pass an array of other jobs that should be executed and the order that they should be executed in. And, and Laravel will take care of, of handling all of that for you. So is it the, did you say it's then or is it chain? It's then which, by the which, looks of it. Okay. So it's either then or chain. I remember seeing in the tests chain somewhere. But in any case, what you essentially do is you just pass an array of the next set of jobs that you want to call. Yeah. And you're not newing them up either, which is interesting. You're just passing the class. Which I lie. It, it, it was then. It's been changed to chain. Gotcha, gotcha. It was another okay. pull request that, that changed the method name. Okay, okay. So as far as like how I've been dispatching jobs for a while now, I usually call dispatch as a global helper. And then I mm -hmm. new up the job and I pass in any parameters, right? Yeah. And in this, like you're passing in, you're, you're only, I don't even know if you're passing into the first job or if you're just calling the job and then, and then dispatch. So that'll be interesting to see how that works. Cause that was my other, my other part of the question was, okay, if I have jobs that need to be chained in a row like that, how do I, how do I pass in different, you know, parameters, different parameters? Yeah. Or even if the parameter needed to be the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it so doesn't anyway, look we'll like to... there's any way of, of doing that currently. So yeah. it might be that you'd have to maintain state for your, you know, between each of the jobs in the database only currently. Mm -hmm. The way the way that mm -hmm. it's implemented now by the looks of it. Yeah. So we'll get, we'll get back with everybody on that. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that on Laravel News. I don't think we've ever talked about that on Laravel News, chain jobs. No. Of course, 5.5 isn't no, released it's a whole yet, lot of... but... Uh, yeah, there's a whole whole heap of changes in 5.5, which we'll uh, we'll probably talk about. Well, we'll definitely talk about them at Laracon, but I think maybe that episode will come out after I'm back in Australia. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, um, have we heard anything on Laravel Horizon? Do you have any idea what this is? Nothing. I'm being I'm being kept in the anything, dark. Any insider information? I'm trying to read your no. face to tell me if you're lying. Just to tell if you're lying and you're just bluffing me. No, no, I don't know anything. I tried to get it out of Muhammad. I've tr I haven't. I haven't asked Taylor. I try not to bother him with such, such menial things. But I will every time. <laughs> every chance. Every chance I get. Every time he talks about something vague on Twitter, I'll just tweet Horizon at him or the the Horizon emoji. So, but that that's as close as I get to trying to get any inside information about it. Do you think it has anything to do with Docker? I probably. That's that's what it seems like. But I mean. Taylor is is pretty good at teasing, so he, he could be looking at something completely unrelated that is that is pertaining to Docker. You never know. Yeah, I kind of tend to think it has to do with Docker as well, which would be interesting. It'd be very interesting. I wonder if it would be like something for something like so. We had TJ and Paul Redmond on the show a couple of weeks ago, 
and Paul is writing a book about Docker for PHP developers. And TJ is just, I, I screen shared with him the other day to talk about some Docker stuff. And my word, dude's got a crazy awesome setup. <laughs> but uh, they, he uses Rancher and Rancher looks really cool. It's like a UI interface for all your containers. Mm-hmm. I would be interested to see if, if Horizon would be something like that. Basically a big interface for managing all of your boxes. And, you know, really kind of what Taylor has done in the past with his other products has been, Here's a thing that is sort of complicated, not like impossible to learn, but is a little bit complicated. And I'm going to give you this product that makes it incredibly easy. So with Forge, it was server deployment and server management. So, you know, for somebody like me who had never done DevOps stuff, it was really intimidating to kind of get started with some of those things because it felt like it was going to blow up some some machine, you know. (laughs) But now it was kind of like a gateway drug. It was like, okay, well, we're going to get you up and running. Here's some things that you can do. We'll hold your hand through this. And it was like, oh, okay, this isn't that bad. And so then you get into it and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I, I kind of know what I'm doing here. And then with Envoy, it was zero downtime deployment. And it was like, no, no idea how to do that, you know. And so that was super helpful. And it was, uh, again, once you understood the process, it was like, oh, this isn't that bad. And it kind of puts a, a set of build steps in for you. So you have b- before hooks and after hooks on all the deployment steps and whatever. So yeah. it wouldn't be surprising to me if he did something like that with Docker where it's like, hey, Docker is a little bit difficult. Um, if you don't know what you're doing, but we're going to give you a great starting point. And uh, if it looks something like Rancher, that would be, that'd be really cool. But if you could just say like, hey, I need another eight workers, push the yeah. plus button and you now have another container with another eight workers or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Hmm. Tyler is really good at identifying sort of what, what the Laravel community is struggling with or what, you know, kind of roadblocks they're coming across and then making simple solutions for them for the masses. So, I mean, I don't really hear a lot about Docker other than, hey, it'd be really good if Laravel could support Docker. So, I don't know. But, I mean, you know, Taylor's usually got his ear to the ground pretty well across these things. And, and I mean, sometimes he just goes off on on his own sort of quest into the wilderness and comes back with whatever he comes back with. So, yeah, I'm excited and I don't, I don't even know what it is. So, But I wonder if he's going to start teasing it. We're, we're in the air. Uh, what six weeks or so away from Laracon, so yeah, yeah, and also like I think sometimes he, you know, it's like uh, it's almost like an Apple thing. Like he'll come up with this idea, and <laughs> you didn't realize you wanted it until he has yeah. it out there, and that's like, oh, yeah. yep, I have to have that. Like that's exactly what it was like with me for Envoy. I was like, is your downtown deployments like, pfft, like I I can do without that. It's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. But once he yeah. came out with it, I was like, oh. Actually, that would be really nice. <laughs> what? It's only 10 bucks a month? Yeah, I'll do that. You know what I mean? Yep. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see kind of if that's, you know, I don't know. I agree yeah. with what you're saying. Like not everybody, not everybody needs Docker. But yeah. if it was like a killer feature set and it was like he's demoing it and it's like, look at what I can do with all these can- containers and all this fanciness and all this failover stuff and if mm. you know if he was able to do that and be like oh and it's only 15 dollars a month and be like yep, yeah i'm getting that we'll yeah. do that and if nothing else like i don't really like forge is something that just sits in the background so i don't really use it yeah regularly likewise with envoy i think i've got it set up for one site and every now and then when i do a deploy it'll do its thing but a lot of it for me is just it's a way to to give back to taylor and all the all the time that he spends on you know, everything that he spends time on. So, I mean, it's nice that he's got the Patreon now because then, you know, if you've always wanted, if you've always been in that position where you wanted to give 
give money to the, towards the development of Laravel, but you've never had a need for Forge or Envoy, then certainly that's that's another way of getting about it now. So yeah, I don't know. He just gets my money every month. And <laughs> very nice, very nice. I'm sure yeah. he's appreciative. Yeah. Um, so a couple episodes ago, we said, Hey, if anybody's interested in sponsoring the show, you know, go ahead and feel free to reach out. So we had had, uh, or we have talked about, uh, Freik, uh, Van der Herten quite a few times. And so he reached out and said, Hey, Spassi would love to sponsor you guys and give you some hosting money. As long as you just give a shout out to us on the show and talk about, you know, Spassi and how great they are. So we're going to do that right now. So we wanted to basically take the time to feature a package and talk about a package that they have out there because that's like their big thing right is they have all these open source packages that they create and i would say maintain but not necessarily they <laughs> they have all the uh, newest <laughs> versions which is yeah. awesome and so as long as you're running that new version then you're good to go um, but laravel backup is one of the ones that's been out for a long time and so um it's a pretty cool little application if you have used something like automatic before where it can back up your database and it can back up your code base and things like that. This is exactly that. So it's really handy. You install it. You can set up any of your storage file system disks to back up to. So if you have like an S3 disk or if you have an SFTP server or if you have Dropbox or if you have anywhere else that you want to store these backups uh, or if even on the same server, on the local server uh, that, um, that you're hosting the site on, you can do that as well. So you can just trigger backups at any point. You can have like a scheduler job that runs that will run your backups. You can choose to back up your whole database uh, as well as all of your code, uh, or you can just back up your database. It will keep a log or not a log. It'll keep a backlog of backups. So you can tell it, keep one yearly backup, you know, keep last three months, you know, a single uh, backup from each of the last three months, keep all the backups for the last two weeks or, or whatever, and then keep, uh, or one backup a day for the last two weeks, and then keep a backup an hour for the last three days or something like that. And it will roll those off as it kind of runs itself. I tend to run this in Envoyer as well, uh, where as part of my deploy process, I will do a quick backup before mm -hmm. I actually activate the new release. So I'll do a backup of the database and everything, and then activate the new release. Uh, and, uh, and that works really well. So yeah, I've been using it on a, probably two or three different applications for probably about half a year now, and it works awesome all the time. And it's a really nice like peace of mind to just know that you've got your database at least you know right before you deployed that bug that's going to break everything. You you've <laughs> yeah. at least got a backup, so when you roll back, you can uh, you know you have your database stuff all set to go. You don't have to worry about any crazy migration stuff that might have happened. Yeah, yeah, works pretty cool. Yeah, nice. I, I yep, mean, I have not had a chance to use it myself as, as we've learned over the course of this show, working in a, in a business that is very heavily sort of, I mean, we, we run our own data centers, so all of the backups and that kind of stuff are managed for us in excruciating detail. Um, so <laughs> yeah, unfortunately I haven't had a chance to use it, but from, from everything that, that I've heard from you and by all accounts, it's, uh, it's an incredibly useful thing. And I'd, I'd never thought to use it as part of a, a deploy step, but that certainly makes a lot of sense. That's usually something that I would have done manually. So I always back up the database before, especially if I'm making any any changes that, that result in migrations or anything that's going to touch the database, I will have to do that manually. But using it as an automated thing during a deploy is pretty cool as well. Yeah, it's, nice. it's just an artisan command. You, know, you just call it and just back up 
and then it'll use all the settings you have in place and, and send it off. And um, yeah. yeah, it makes it easy to do offsite, uh, I say offsite, you know, offsite off server backups. So if you have something running on DigitalOcean, you don't want to put your backups on DigitalOcean, as we found mm -hmm. out a little while, maybe a couple, year and a half ago, a year ago, where uh, there was a big outage with uh, a DDoS attack on Linode, I think. And so yeah. uh, some people that had stuff on Linode and their backups on Linode, no hate on Linode, it wasn't their fault, it was just yeah. it is what it was. But uh, you can't get your backups off if there's a DDoS attack mm -hmm. on all of their servers. So it doesn't really matter if it was on another server at Linode, you couldn't get to it. So yeah, lesson learned the hard way, but I've been backing up ever since. So good deal. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps up this episode. Do you have anything else that you want to say? No, I think that is that is it. I'm okay. uh, going to quickly get this one edited up so that we can get it out on time and then go and enjoy the, the last week of my 20s. Oh, my man. poor youth there, is believe gone. Believe me, 30s aren't as bad as people make them seem. I know that you'll be oh, you considered know, an old man, but... I, I had never... I, had, I hadn't even thought about it until I was listening to 20% FM and I think it was... It wasn't on the show, but I think it was Caleb that I was talking to and he said... He messaged me and said that uh, he was running a podcast and that they were talking about life in their 20s and I, that was when it struck me sort of, you know, three weeks ago that that life in my 20s is is coming to a screeching halt or you know a, a quick end so oh well i'm sure everything yeah. will be fine i just i'm just halfway, is, one one foot in the grave now <laughs> yep 30s is the new 20s um i remember hearing a steve jobs quote which was terrifying to me and he said um until 30 you make your habits and after 30 your habits make you so yeah. This is it, man. You have one last week to make any habits and then you're stuck for the rest of your life. Uh, you are just like a I'm, portrait on the wall. You, There is no change after 30. Everything. I'm, so I hope you're happy with who you are right now. That's yeah, not true, by I'm the glad, way. I'm glad. None of that is true. That's all lies. <laughs> I'm glad I got back to the gym three weeks ago then. <laughs> yep. See? Perfect. Perfect. But that was an intimidating quote. I was like, oh my gosh, if I don't have it together by the time I'm in my 30s. But you know what? I don't think very many... Well, I don't know. Some people have it together by the time they're in their 30s, but... Yeah, people still change after their 30s, man. There's a lot of life left to live after 30 years old. So, and my wife often tells me that I was born an old man anyway. So, there you go. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just growing into it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome, man. Well, this is episode 29. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. You can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio/slash/thirty. If you have any questions or feedback, you can hit us up on uh, Twitter at North South Audio. And then if you like the show, feel free to rate us up in uh, iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Five stars is always very much appreciated. Thanks again to Spassi for sponsoring this episode. And we will see you all when Michael is 30 and when I have my fourth child. Oh, my word. That's unreal. <laughs> good thing you moved That's house, hey? Is that, oh. is that all good? You're all settled in or you've got boxes everywhere still? Oh, uh, well, you know, we've got... We're, we're in a very livable situation. Everybody, everything is unpacked to the point that we can, you know, live totally fine. But it is funny. Like you have boxes that have not been looked at since you moved. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I guess we didn't really need it or whatever. You yeah. Know? Um, but no, Anything everything's still good. in the a pool box is, after three months. I think you can just throw away. Yeah, I think so. That's a good. I, I like that philosophy. But we have a pool with this house and I have just been taking my wallet out there every day when I come home from work and just dumping the contents of my wallet into the pool every day at the end of work. Uh, <laughs> uh, just dumping money into that thing. Oh, my uh, word. I'm sure you'll get it to a good spot soon. If anybody's ever in town here, 
Bloomington Normal in Illinois. You're welcome to welcome to stop by and and take a dip in the pool. It's uh it's starting to look nice. You can see the bottom now. So oh good. <laughs> <laughs> all right michael take it easy my friend let's say mate have a good one all right bye